Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I'm very, very grateful to have one of the few men I end up having the pleasure of inviting on my podcast. His name is Seth Katz. Welcome, Seth. Thank you. Thank you so much for the warm welcome, Lynn. You're very welcome. And Seth is a life coach, but most importantly of all, he is somebody that's overcome you know, a massive trauma in his life. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about how you can heal from abuse and the, the journey that's involved in doing that. So Seth, thank you so much for being vulnerable, especially I know it can be even harder, I know for guys, because they're not used to usually um, being encouraged to share their emotions, or if they are encouraged, then they're usually a bit reluctant because, you know, it can be for a man quite often perceived as a form of weakness, can't it? Mm, yes, it can. It can. But the, the, I think the main thing is, is that nowadays you get men talking more and um, sharing their experiences more, but plus also as well sharing their vulnerable side as well, seeing their vulnerable side as well. It's, it's quite healthy to, um, to express and to, and to show that side really, because then you can start to resonate with, with other men as well too so you know so I would definitely see it as being a positive definitely massively so and on the back of doing things like this I think you're doing a great service to other men who may be sort of in a position where they're afraid or reluctant to share um you know because they've been educated or parented to feel like it it might be a sign of weakness to actually get the help and open up more so I really appreciate you doing this thank you Okay, so, so let's start off with, uh, if you don't mind, sharing with our audience your personal story. Where, what, what happened to you? Sure. So my story started um, probably when I was about like six or seven, really. Um, we used to go over to um, a relative's house. So this was on my mum's on my side. It was her cousin. Um, she had, so her kids were my second cousins almost. And... Um, We'd, we'd go over quite a few times, um, nothing untowards, I was young, carefree, whatever. And it was, it was nice. Um, we'd, we'd go over, I don't know, like once a month, sometimes maybe every couple of weeks. Um, nice family atmosphere, um, you know, uncles, aunts, everybody there. And there's one particular day, um, went up to my cousin's room and then um, th- that's that's when the, he kind of told me to, to come towards him and then he he then proceeded to, to grope me then um, pull my trousers down and then I said no and it kind of stopped that was the first first time so I've never really said nothing he said oh make sure you you don't tell anyone anything but I was quite startled by it 
And then um, there was a time when when the actual abuse happened was, um, I remember clearly because it was the summer holidays. So, you know, you stay at home, summer holidays. My mum worked nights. Uh, my father worked shift work. So um, they were pretty tired during the day. So um, my mum and arranged for my cousin to come over. He came over. Um, I remember that the day vividly was a lovely day. Um, she was asleep upstairs. And then that's when he abused me. How, how old was your cousin at this? You know, so uh, I'm assuming it's not like a couple of children, sort of, no. you know, playing and just being curious. No, no, he was he was probably at least in about another ten years older than me. So if I was six or seven, he would have been about sixteen, seventeen by then. And then um, this happened probably like twice. Um, second time. <clears throat> That happened. Well, the first time it happened, I, I was not really sure what to think. I wasn't wasn't really coherent. I guess at those times, as a child, your emotions are what's going on type thing. There's, there wasn't any crying. There wasn't any. There was a bit of panic because I was thinking if my mum comes down, what's going to happen? But there wasn't any type of oh my gosh, you shouldn't have done this to me type thing. And then. You know, um, the, the the second time it happened, it was we, we went over to to their house. He, he kind of called me upstairs because he had he had lots of toys and games and stuff. So I was quite into toys, games, stuff like that. So I'd come up there, and he said, "I'll oh, come and sit down." And then then it happened again, and then it was a case of I wasn't sure what to think. Um, and he just said, I'll make sure that you don't tell anyone. And I was like, oh, fine, okay. And then I lived with that for for years. But then I guess in my school, when I used to go to school and when I used to go to college, I, was, I found I was very kind of, people would say I was very disruptive. I would, would not be able to focus, um, you know, very kind of up and down. Um, but then working through life now and then <clears throat> when I was like 15 16 you know left home um started to start started to experience drugs started to experience like lots of like um, different sexual inter like sexual experiences mm. um a lot of um just never never settled my my school work like I left school at 15 with no qualifications no no CSEs and then, then I guess was was just always just stumbling through life couldn't make couldn't understand stuff but I would always have the experience at the back of my head because I knew it was it was wrong but I never thought it would have an effect on me as what, what it had yeah and then um kind of roll forward into like 2000 maybe 99 2000 I was looking one day I was looking at a program um Kilroy these are for the older folks who remember um breakfast tv 
The, the particular topic of, of that day for, for, was uh, men who was abused, men who were sexually abused. And I sat down and watched it. I was like, wow, this is interesting. <clears throat> and I tell you, Lynn, when I looked at the program, heard some of the stuff that some of these men were doing, the behaviours, I could connect to every which way from um, relationship issues to addiction to whatever it was I could relate then it wasn't that I never wanted to relate I was like I was like oh because I hear someone talk and then they'll just hit a topic and like yeah that happens to me and that happens to me sometimes and I'm like so then I kind of stopped and I thought maybe this is having a, a greater effect on me than what it is what I'm actually thinking because I was thinking oh no it's it's something that happened. It's it's past now. It's long gone. But I never had. I had no clue. And then I sat there. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly a very traumatizing experience. And um, you know, I know from my own personal experience, which I've, which I've already shared on previous podcast episodes for those listeners inter- interested in my own story, that um, you know, certainly you don't realize, do you, the impact it has on your life but actually you know um it's a, it's a big trauma and you're more or less you know looking for ways to um i suppose numb that that internal pain but you're not realizing that that's what you're doing doing yeah exactly and i think here's a this is the best way to to um explain abuse or to explain any kind of trauma if you think about a car right you drive a car car is in immaculate condition yeah you meet someone who abuses you or is a is a perpetrator or whatever and if you think for every time they do something to you they have a hammer in their hand right so if they if they degrade you or if they if they if it's rape if if it's abuse they if you think of that person hitting that car with a hammer, breaking their windows, busting their light out, leaving dents, leaving marks, disfiguring the car, destroying the car. And what it and what we do is when we have a car accident normally, what do we do? We take it into the repair shop, we get it fixed, back out as normal what we do with abuse and what we do with these domestic experiences or, or, or violent ex- or traumatic experiences is we carry them. We think, okay, because it's this, then it should be all right. But yet subconsciously we're walking around with, with dents and marks and holes and broken glass and everything like that mm. to be able to function in a normal way. Yes, and and um, it's not until somebody points out, "Hey, your your body or your like exterior, like talking figuratively, as a car is damaged." Like, really? Is it? Oh, no, it's not. And then someone points it out, or you start seeing things like 
the windows don't work or the indicators don't work or the car's not starting correctly, then you think there's something wrong. Yeah. Then, then is when you start taking it back and then you're thinking oh, maybe this could be the effect of. So what sort of behaviours, you know, did you realise on the back of watching that? How old were you when you watched that sort of Kilroy talk show programme? I think I was, I think I was 24. So quite, 24. Yeah, quite a long time after the actual abuse then that you yes. listened to that programme and had these realisations that, you know what, I can relate to all the, you know, what these guys are sharing. Yeah. So what, what did you sort of, I suppose, recognise about your own behaviours that you was engaging in that, that weren't obviously healthy behaviours or healthy mm-hmm. thoughts mm-hmm. that you recognise were probably as a result of that trauma you'd been through? Okay, so probably I can list about five. So the first one would be needing or requiring external validation. So from relationships, so meet someone, go out with them, have a relationship with them, and then just have the need for them to externally validate me because I felt so low myself. The one good thing that I did like you, I was quite sporty. So I know you did your swimming stuff. I ran track. So I ran um, like track and field. I did stuff for the county, south of England. And that was my, almost my saving space really is, as a kind of a because I had so much anxiety um, dealing with work so I couldn't hold jobs down I'd start jobs perfectly lose jobs in about a year normally it will the anxieties and stuff would raise its head in about a year feeling really pressurized with stuff couldn't focus my attention to detail was was atrocious like the smallest things just attention to detail was bad um, then the whole thing of trying wanting to use drugs, experimenting, um, and and also the 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 actual sex your experiences as well in terms of trying to get an excess. Like my thing was excess. It wasn't then. It wasn't the fact of I was trying to hurt anybody. It was just it just felt good. It was like more. It's it's more. Was that from a self-masturbation or multiple relationships or lots of sex in one relationship? How did that manifest itself? Yeah, multiple relationships. Oh, man. Multiple from having, like, six so-called girlfriends come over to my house in a day and just have sex with them all in a day. Like, each one to having, like, going out to to just meet people and just be around people. I just thought that this is is great for me. When I look back now, I feel horrified by it because I just, um, but the thing is I've never understood the value of myself. I had no self-esteem. I had self-confidence, but no self-esteem, no value, no worth. Mm. And then I put myself in these situations and not really understand or not realize like, why, why am I doing that? There was no off switch. I guess that's the only thing that you can equate it to. There was no way of stopping. I found it hard to stop something. Um, I had no, no way of actually saying, okay, I don't want to see this person. Like, oh no, like I've, I've got to, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to have, have this. I've got to try that. 
I think for a lot of us, you know, when we, 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 we don't actually realise at the time we're suffering with lack of self-esteem and self-worth, but um, we equate, don't we, that um, sex equals love. And by getting lots of sex, then we're yeah. getting lots of love, aren't we? And, and yeah. that makes us temporarily for a short, very short period of time feel better in the moment. Exactly. And I've also as well, you don't actually like you're taking like like I'm a genuinely empathetic person right but I wouldn't take into consideration that much the other person's feelings I would like oh yeah okay and kind of not not kind of blow them off but more, more so be thinking about myself really yeah um but then not not to really hurt them but then I just felt that having so much was really good for me and really I felt really proud by of it then and then um, when I was going through those things, there were lows as well. There were lows. There was a lot of depression. There was a lot of kind of up and down stuff. There was a lot of um, be committed, like self-sabotaging as well. Very heavily self-sabotaging. Meet someone who would, would care for me and love me and all that. And then six months later, nah. But knowing my head this person is a good person my heart yes and my emotion no mm. it's it's the weirdest thing ever it's like knowing a person's a good person knowing you want to stay with them but you just can't and it's like that was a repetitive thing like a cycle um and then when i guess the, the thing that kind of bugged me out more was was the work situation because I could always see see it coming. I could always see it coming. I was always like preempting the build up. Like I knew I would start a job, no problem. Six months a year. And then after a year, it's like, I don't know if I got complacent or lost confidence or whatever it is. I'll just go from being a good worker to getting sacked or being put on, um, probation or not, not on probation being on um, when they give you your first like a uh, like a written warning or a verbal warning. warning that's it yes a warning verbal warning I'm like what's going on and then um, but the thing is if you think back then to the like the early 2000s and stuff Facebook wasn't really really there um, the internet was just in its infancy so it's not what it what it what it was now. So in terms of trying to find help, you you couldn't really find help. And 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 if you think about it, that was before the Me Too movement. Not too many people were talking about this. Was before um, what's his name? Um, Jimmy Savile. Before all this, this big stuff around you know historical abuse and stuff came out. And just for the benefit of the audiences abroad. Jimmy Savile was a well-known mm. DJ in the UK who uh, mm. was a prolific a paedophile, which uh, mm. only got discovered decades later, didn't it? Yes, yeah. And and I guess that's also showing my age as well, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, um, that, that was before that. And um, so having so, – so trying to have that conversation about my experiences, where do you start? where do you go um how do you have it with who and who 
there were just there were just no starting point really um and i guess that kind of then start that was the start of my journey then like back that day and then um you know um you come across certain people certain friends um that would in conversations they'll say yeah this happened to me this happened to me blah 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 we'll talk about it and it's like oh okay but then I was finding a lot more people than than I'd bargained for had experienced like you know DV or or something or more some type of traumatic experiences as, as traumatic experiences as, as children mm-hmm. so I was I was really surprised by this and then um um kind of trundled through life, trundled through jobs, um, still had all these toxic behaviours because um, I still I still tried to maintain a normal life, but these were like my nightmares almost. They were, mm-hmm. they were always coming back and haunting me. And then, um, you know, I had, had I, I found a partner um, back in probably about 2003, 2004, had a son, got married, and then I guess um, I think having my son mentally settled me in a way, but then I still had these anxieties, still had these issues, but the person that I met wasn't really supportive like that. They wasn't really encouraging. I think they had their own issues too. Um there's lots of arguments, lots of manipulation towards me because I, I thought that this was it. I said, I only want to get married once. I said, I never want to get married again, like two and three times. Um, and then I think coupled in with my anxieties, um, I had some much anger going around with bags of anger. I'll be angry for like over something stupid like if the bin wasn't closed I'll be angry about it for like a day if something never went right I'll be angry for I not talk for like two weeks but internally I'm going like what is wrong with me what is there's something wrong and then kind of trying to search for more search for more answers reading books and then probably about four years ago four years ago um a friend of mine who I used to work with, well, now we work t- together now, we, she actually re- recommended, because she had suffered um, domestic violence, and she said, um, you know what, Seth, you should really look at working with a therapist that has PTSD. I'm like, PTSD? That's for, like, people who go to war and come back, like, shaking and stuff, yeah. <laughs> Again, for the benefit of the audience, uh, PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, doesn't it? Disorder, yes, yeah. And I said, I don't need to go to see a therapist. I said, you're, you're crazy. She, she said, you'll be surprised. So, man, I went to that therapist and I tell you, Lynn, it was one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had. So, we we talked about my abuse we talked about my life as a child we did some some like therapy stuff as well a borderline in the lines of like just visualization being a child stuff and um also the um something called EFT which is um tapping um 
you've got like certain points of your body where you tap, which actually help you to, because what, what happens with trauma and we keep in our bodies is if you think about it, those, those people who are probably listening now would be able to resonate. If you think that your favorite, you, how do you feel when, when you talk about your favorite, favorite football team? It brings about emotion. It brings about joy. It brings about something, but you have a, what we do, we connect emotions to events. Yes. And what happened is um, with the therapy I, I received, I was able to separate my emotion from the event. So um, that's by tapping in therapy. And I tell you, Lynn, when I got home, like the we, first of all, there was a big hoo-ha about how much I have to pay. Because I was like, oh, I have to pay like, I think it was about like seven or 800 quid for like 10 sessions. Yeah. And I said, I said, I'm not paying that. I said, this is a load of nonsense. I said, who pays this money to go and, well, don't forget, you think you're going to sit on a couch, you're going to talk to someone, and it's, the, it's how you see it in the films, right? But no, it was, it was different. It was a nice atmosphere, you know, very calm. And um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of, again, for the benefit of the audience, um, the tapping technique is... EFT that you referred to is for emotional freedom technique, isn't it? It's that that yeah. you uh, yeah, very go good. And, uh, uh, I'm assuming you found that a really effective oh, therapy to, to use. Brilliant, brilliant. There are different types because I know that there's one with writing, which is CBT, which is um, cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy, and uh, which is writing, um, and also um, EFT. Uh, which is a kind of a it really depends on the person really but I know for me EFT worked 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 a charm so when I after that particular first session I got home and it's and it's like someone it, it felt like someone switched the off the off button like I couldn't talk like I tried <laughs> but I couldn't talk for about a week, almost a week. I was just humming and gesticulating and pointing at things. And then when, um, when my partner asked me, oh, Seth, are you all right? Mm. Mm. Or just don't want to be around people. I think generally that's the difference between the masculine and the feminine, you know, energies, you know, regardless of what body you're in. You know, if you're strongly... Mm you know, um, a masculine energy, in other words, um, usually that pertains to men in general, uh, especially in opposite sex relationships, but not always the case and the opposite when it comes to women. But I think generally the difference between how men and women sort of process stuff is that women like to speak, whereas men go inwards and they have to process it by themselves. Whereas Correct, like yeah. Share, you know. And you like to share, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that, that's very true because it's so funny because when I met my current wife now she had just come from a, a TV relationship and she was going through CBT and she she would talk incessantly about what they did what happened and I'll ask questions and I was really interested interested in it because I was interested in the whole psychology of of like how the brain works what happens how you feel etc but for me it was like I don't want to be around anyone I don't want to be around the kids don't want to be at home leave me alone let me figure this out because 
my was getting a bit worried. I was like, what's going on with me? Uh, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I come into, when you retrace my steps now and actually knowing what I know now, it's like my brain was actually shutting down and re remapping itself and creating new neural pathways in terms of learning and do, dealing with stuff. And I was, and so I went back to the therapist and I told her, I couldn't talk. She laughed. She was like, yeah, it's fine. I said, really? Yeah. I, I, I said, you sure? Well, but I like, I, I like talking. She said, yeah, you'll be fine. So I went back. That's the second time we did the therapy. I couldn't talk again, but it wasn't as so bad. I probably couldn't talk for like five days. Yeah. And then I found that each time I kept on going, I was, what was happening to me with the whole talking stuff and not being, wanting to be around people was becoming less and less. Yeah. So it kind of, but it, it worked. It worked really well. And I was actually surprised at, at how much of a change it made to me. I was more, I was more on, on point. And then, um, then I started kind of talking and working a lot with a lot of um, women and men just just talking just generally stuff general stuff about like you know relationships and what they go through and experiences and abuse and stuff like that and I'd be talking about it incessantly anytime because I just found it interesting I could find I found it so interesting that an experience that you had or have can have so much impact in your life your whole life and in different ways and how you process different things and the who's and the why's and the what's. And really, I just, I just took a, a real passion to, wasn't the whole life coaching thing, but the psychology, like mm -hmm. behavioral, behavioral stuff, neural pathways and things like that. I just had so much of a, of a um, interest. And then um, my, my, one of my, my friends kind of reached out to me and she was like oh because I hadn't spoken to her in years so I was like um so I was like how are you she said oh I've suffered domestic violence and I'm like what so she was like I'm starting a group I'm starting a Facebook group I'm looking to start my own company would you like to come on board and I was like yeah okay that sounds interesting I said what do I have to do so she said you know you have to get yourself certified and you know just generally be there as a as the advocate really a standing testimony for first of all someone who can recover from from a childhood abuse secondly um someone who is well I'm a I'm a big advocate now of of, of like you know domestic violence domestic violence domestic violence awareness in my main job I talk about it every day all day and let's be clear there, you know, men can be, um, you know, the, the victims of domestic violence the same as women, can't they? Yeah, they can. And it's actually startling. I think men has got the one in six, women one in four. Um, but the many men <clears throat> that have shared with me through my experiences have come to me and shared with me and told me what they've experienced and, and you know, built a connection, built rapport, started talking about deeper deeper um, things that can actually happen. So it's it's been actually really, it's part of my, that's why I call this the, this the journey. It's been part of my healing journey for me to help people 
had some value to myself because I thought like when I first started learning about psychology and how the brain works, like I went to my manager and I was like, what side of the brain do you think you use more? I'm like, she was like, what? I was like, well, do you know that what the left side and the right side is for? And it's like explaining what it's for. And then do you know about this? And do you know about that? She was like, well, you've been studying a lot, haven't you? I said, yeah, because I enjoy it so much. And then actually the light bulb switched on. And because all the years I thought I was silly, I thought I was stupid. I thought I was, I, I don't deserve to have a job because I'm not clever enough. I used to compare myself to others. I used to beat myself up. I'm like, what happened if I made a made a potion where it can create a brain and I can drink it and I, I can have an extra brain to know all these things? And I was just ruminate about crazy <laughs> stuff because you want to excel and you know your potential so much. But now, um, since learning this whole stuff about psychology, it's like and how much I know and how much I take in and how much I actually use is my value now is I know where my value is now I don't have to validate excellent love it Seth and on that note what is your best contact information for anybody who's interested in this and um, you know can see and obviously hear your experience and your and know your value in terms of wanting to reach out and contact you sure so um, the two best ways just two is the first one is on Facebook, just Seth Katz. And um, if you also want to um, contact me directly through our business, it's um, selfloveafterabuse.com. And that's all one word. That's it. Selfloveafterabuse.com. Yes. Excellent. Right. Well, thank you so much, Seth, for being vulnerable yeah. enough and courageous enough to share your story, um, you know, um, and all its ups and downs and it's great to know that you you found your way through and you can give people hope and inspiration for the future and know that they can overcome this okay well thank you so much Lenin. it's much appreciated much appreciated thank you and on that note mm -hmm. just leaves me to say listeners true love starts with opening our hearts until next time goodbye for now Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.